DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Hey, it's C. Stachura, host of Shots in the Back, exhuming the 1970 Augusta riot. We are delaying our next full episode by one week. Thanks to an outpouring of support from listeners, we've gained a lot of new material for our episodes, and it's taking a minute for our small team to incorporate. In the meantime, here's a glimpse into the minds of our fantastic students. When COVID-19 hit, my students and I at Jesse Norman School of the Arts had to quarantine rather suddenly. So we didn't have a chance to wrap up a lot of conversations. And there's always been one I wished we could have continued. It's the conversation about racism, both in the podcast's content and in the classroom itself. Gabby Stallings never liked to talk about racism. The word itself bothered her. One particular classroom conversation stands out. No, nobody says that word. I just call it the R word in my mind, so just say the R word, because that's starting to freak me out. I have two fears. No, we're not doing this Voldemort thing. You are not Voldemorting me. Voldemorting is the practice of avoiding a word or a topic because you're afraid of it. Mm -mm. Can I just say my three fears right quick? Small holes, racism, and being in the dark alone at night. Let's get back. Let's get on track. We're all going to say the R word in our silliest voices. Ready? Let's say racism in our silliest voices. No. Racism. Racism. (laughs) It's so good. I appreciate Gabby's honesty. She is exactly right. Saying the word racism in a silly voice does not dissipate its danger. Gabby is 10 years old and going into the fifth grade. She's also one of the few Black students in my class. And over the months, she found it a little easier to talk about the subject of racism in the presence of white students. Last semester, I was just, like, so uncomfortable because, like, like I didn't know about racism, like, until I first stepped into podcasting. Well, it sounds like you did know about racism. Yeah, I didn't. Like, I knew about, like... How can I put this? Like, white people, like, bringing my ancestors over and putting us into slavery. Like, I can handle that because I've heard it many times before. But racism, that's just a whole other level of uncomfortableness. Mm -hmm. A few weeks ago, she and I had a chance to catch up. I asked Gabby what she thought about the events over the past few months. Like COVID, the racism, the racial injustice, the protests, or do you mean for, like, the podcast? She's been keeping up with the news. And she's seen what can happen to Black people for simply existing. I don't feel safe going outside of homes anymore and knowing that horrible racial groups like the KKK are now back. I also don't like it. 
I become very self-conscious whenever we go out. I try to be safe, and I feel very relieved when we get home. So I don't want to go out as much like like we used to even before COVID-19. I also caught up with my student Atticus Dillard Wright. He's 12 years old, white, and going into the seventh grade. Like Gabby, Atticus prefers to stay inside nowadays. I feel like the more I hear about like COVID-19 death counts in Georgia and different police shootings and stuff like that, I feel like the more I want to just crawl into bed and never leave. Atticus and Gabby are both afraid and largely for the same reason. But Gabby's fear is more concrete. She's afraid she'll be killed. Atticus says he recognizes that his fears are more abstract because he's white. It maybe feels like it won't happen to me, but somebody I know, which is still terrible, but it feels less, I I don't really know. Less immediate. Yeah. Half of my podcasting class was white, and sometimes far more than half. And sometimes that dynamic kept racism abstract. It made the topic hard to talk about for both groups of students. Gabby was the first one to point this out. Not to be offensive, but there's like a lot of like white people in this room, and like makes me feel uncomfortable. Like that's honestly fair. But she wasn't the only one who felt this way. Ijalon Henderson is 15 years old and going into the 10th grade. She brought this up to a WRDW reporter in Augusta. She was being interviewed about the process of making this podcast. Sometimes I felt like I was the only black kid. And sometimes I felt weirded out because, like, how could they possibly know? She chose to take the class because of some advice that her mom had given her. So podcasting, she was like, you should consider podcasting because there are a lot of um, white people in the classroom and you could be that black voice to stand, like, stand up and say, to stand up and, like, talk about racism and, like, riots and stuff like that. The kids in my podcasting class had their pick of which class to take. Jesse Norman offers dance, art, chorus, photography, theater, and podcasting. Each is an after-school program, all of it for free. So when classes started last August, I knew it was an uphill battle getting kids to choose podcasting. To choose podcasting when we're talking about a riot in particular. But I was honestly surprised that the class ended up being predominantly white in a predominantly black school. One of my white students, Aidan Allen, had a theory about this. He says it could be because black students don't have to learn about racism. They live it. It's because, well, it's also, uh, I feel like it was like a majority of white kids in this class is probably, it might be because, you know, black people won't forget about that. And I understand. You know, he's right. Not many people want to talk about racism in their free time. And JNSA is a comfortable home for a lot of creative Black students. This topic is sensitive. 
I recognize that as a white teacher, I'm probably not the type of person who they would expect to be having these conversations with or even feel comfortable with. But sometimes the only way to get past something is to engage it. And that's exactly what we've been doing as we've worked on this podcast together. The kids have come a long way from that first conversation. In episode one, Atticus said talking about race was risky. I do think that everything's going to end up terrible, though. I just feel like this is going to end either perfectly or terribly. And when you say it, what do you mean? The podcast and, like, what's the fallout, sort of. Because of the different opinions of races. Now he feels more confident in his ability to have these difficult conversations. I feel like because I did this, the podcast stuff, it feels like I'm better equipped to go about talking about some of this stuff than I was maybe before I started. On like a scale of, I guess I'd put it on a scale of 1 to 10. Before I started the podcast, I was maybe at like a 30. And after, now I think I'm at like a six or seven. So a lot more comfortable, but not like 100%. Atticus is a pretty well-informed preteen. And after learning about the riot, he couldn't help but connect Augusta's story with recent headlines. Well, look at the news right now. And then think about what happened during the riot in Augusta. In Augusta, one man was killed by the police or people in power, and it caused a protest and a riot. And then look at what's happening right now, today, with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. Um, The same things are happening right now as happened 50 years ago. Those similarities are why Atticus thinks that learning about the riot today might be even more important. Past is not just the past. The past tells us not just what happened in the past, but also can help like shape our decisions for the future and what will happen in the future. Gabby agreed. When we talked recently, she said it was important to her to be well-informed. But she is still uneasy using the language of racism. Instead, we talked about cake. I've seen... A video that explained racism with cake. There's a judge, and you and your friend are going to a baking competition. We believe that all cakes are supposed to be created equal, but the judge only likes white cake. So if somebody enters a chocolate cake, the chocolate cake won't win. Even if it's the worst-looking white cake, but that white cake will automatically win. That's practically saying that white white people, that some white people think that they're better than black people. And I don't like that. She says that white people, or as she would call it, white cake, should use this advantage to help everyone else. Racism is going on in this country and that not not just black, not just chocolate cakes, but white cakes, um, some the good white cakes should also help the lower, delicious chocolate cake 
um, to help reach their goal instead of just standing there on the sidelines just watching chocolate cakes die, going to jail for no reason. Atticus agrees. I think I can, like, sort of use my white privilege that I was kind of born with to try to help people who are who are not born white to help them, like, gain the same, like, level of acceptance, I guess. I'm not 100% sure how to go about that, but I think that's what I should be doing. Nathaniel Q. Smith has a few ideas. He's the founder of the Partnership for Southern Equity. It's a racial equity organization based in Atlanta. He says it's important to have these conversations about racism with kids, especially white kids. Allyship versus advocate, I think, is a critical component of the conversation. And this question about, are we teaching our young white kids about the history of resistance that we have in the white community? We're dropping the ball on that. The South has a rich history of white advocacy. Smith says young white people need to know about that history, about people like John Brown. Brown died trying to free blacks in slavery. And knowing that history will expand what students like Atticus believe they can do. Smith says that when kids learn how to advocate for others, they ultimately also learn how to stand up for themselves. I just think with young people, we've got to encourage them to volunteer, right? And, and, and get to know every aspect of it, you know, work in a, uh, whether it be a soup kitchen or voter registry, you know, or, you know, door knocking with their parents or, you know, doing voter registration work. All of that is important. There's nothing wrong with a kid getting involved in the protest. You teach them about democracy. And you're teaching them to cherish it. So when people are trying to take it away, they understand what it means when people are trying to take away your voice. So the earlier, the better. Through these difficult conversations, the kids learn how to create change in their communities. And Gabby has an idea of what that might look like. But maybe one day the world will be a good and better place where all cakes are created equal. Man, I'm so hungry. So, yeah, I believe whether you're a red velvet, a carrot, or white or chocolate cake, um, all cakes are supposed to be created equally. I'm C. Stachura. This is Shots in the Back. It's a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting and Jesse Norman School of the Arts. For more of our reporting, visit gpb.org slash shots. We'll be back with a full episode next week.